Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to Coach Menachem Berenfeld Shear tonight. Tonight is Shear 125. <laughs> and thank you for joining us. Um, we have a massive program here tonight. A lot of things going on. We're going to try to cover everything. Yeah, yeah, my son's bouncing over here. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, hi, Simcha, how are you? Nice to see you. We'll catch up. Um, okay, so again, tonight's year 125. Again, I always start off every week thanking everybody that joins us. The platform is Brooksham Growing. It's worldwide. We're doing two and a half years. We have a lot of amazing programs coming up, which I'll tell you about. Um, we have Hanukkah coming up, which I'll tell you about. So again, thank you for everybody for posting on your WhatsApp statuses and emailing people about it and family and friends. As I always say every week, if it's not negated to you, the program, it's great. You don't have to join every single program, but let people know about it. You never know who we could help. And um, let people, you know, join every Sunday. We get to schmooze things out, get clarity, and really try to have a tremendous awakening and grow together. If anybody's interested in joining the, the WhatsApp chats or just getting the flyer week, you can WhatsApp me personally at 848. 525-0066. Save my number and every Sunday I can send you the flyer. If you want, you can go to menachembarenfeld.com and you could sign up to get his weekly emails. He sends you an email before the share Sunday and then the replay goes up uh, Monday, middle of the night and you get an email Monday nights and you can be up to date with all the speakers, what's coming out, what's going on in all the Coach Menachem community. So please join us. For all the people that are watching this on YouTube, the replay, you can click on the like button. Click on the subscribe button so me and Menachem can make millions of dollars doing this, Baruch Hashem. And uh, just uh, the mile of subscribing is that every time the, the video comes out, you get notified right away and you get to see, know when it comes out. It's the first start of thanking all our advertising sponsors over here, over here in Lakewood, the Lakewood School for promoting us here in Lakewood. Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central for promoting us in the whole Five Town area. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaplan and Shmuel Summer from JCN for promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. Again, for anybody here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, at this Zoom ID, we have different shurim, different topics. We have different rabbanim. We have different therapists. We have rabbanim and therapists mixed together, like Rabbi Moshe Rapper. And we have a lot of interesting people. And please join us. Okay, so uh, just before the Shiyam Menachem discussed that uh, the first night Hanukkah Sunday night and the last night Sunday night, and there's going to be a lot of Hanukkah parties, and it does not make sense to do a shir, even though we did actually have a speaker lined up. Um, so we're going to push off for two weeks now, Menachem. We're going to need a lot of donuts. So when we come back, we might have a wider screen, but uh, looking forward. So the next year is going to be next year. January 1st, 2023 is going to be the next year. Okay, I hope to see everybody New Year's weekend. Yeah, next two weeks is January, December 18th, 25th. So January 1st, and we confirmed the speaker for January 1st. Ready? I know you know who the speaker is? Not Oshie Parnas. No, no, no. You already know who the speaker is? The speaker is Rabbi Lipsker from Bell Harbor, the Shalich in Bell Harbor by Surfside over there. He's a tremendous speaker, unbelievable person. It was actually Hashem to get him. And we do not know the topic yet, but uh, it should be a very powerful share. He's an unbelievable person. So please join us. It should be deep, a meaningful program. I'll let everybody know about it. Tonight, we have the and honor of having world-famous therapist, Ramosh Rapper from Palms River, New Jersey, Rav Kalzichroin Yecheskel. He's also the Rav of Atzal, Central New Jersey. He's a very sought-after therapist. And in the tonight, we're going to be talking about a very general topic in one sense. but one sense, it's very important. And let's show you a lot of chizik, a lot of clarity to the best of our abilities. Very much, all right. You're going to give a little uh, disclaimer, tr trigger warning before we start. 
But uh, we'll keep it in mind and make sure all the thousands of people that are here tonight that are going to listen to this and the thousands of thousands of that afterwards should be a tremendous, uh, tremendous help. And tonight's year is Gematria, Ramosha Rapper is all about. You ready? 125 is Gematria, Chesed Agadol. The biggest Chesed of the Gadol is Ramosha Rapper. No, it's to get the proper guidance and get the proper Ashkafa and the proper Chesed. That's what Chesed Agadol is. That's Gematria. And we're going to start off first with an opening from Coach Menachem. Coach Menachem, the, the, the topic is a very abstract. Maybe we can clarify, um, you know. Sure. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome, everyone, to another Shir. Let's get real with Coach Menachem, Baruch Hashem 125, with a lot of Siat and Shmaya. And tonight we have this close, have with us, like we heard, the Moshe Ratberg, therapist, and Rav. Fin Zatan. He gets to hear from the therapist's point of view and the Rob's point of view. So the truth is, since we've started this program, Hashem, we've had amazing positive feedback and people who, who have been struggling, trying to figure out if there is help and seeing that there is possibilities, there is help and slowly reaching out um, to where they can get the help, whether it's therapists or Rabbanim. And um, slowly, one thing at a time, even though it's sometimes a slow process, they, they slowly get things in, in order and it's not easy. Some people have a very hard time finding the right therapist, um, speaking to the right person to find the, the right solution. And sometimes it's a process, it takes time to get there. Tonight, it's interesting, we'll go all the way to the other side, the topic of too much therapy. Like finally, somebody finally makes it into therapy. Now we can discuss, oh, maybe you're, you're sitting there for too long. So the truth is we do need to have a disclaimer that um, we are going to be just discussing some awareness, the concepts. Now, every person is different. There are no two the same. And every person went through whatever they went through, needs that help that they need. And um, a therapist is, finding a therapist is like a shidduch. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it, it does take time. It's, you know, till finally you figure it out. Now, it's, it is important to see where am I? What am I looking for? Is it working? Is it not? And it's not always that easy because you're involved, you're emotionally involved. And uh, then you're discussing it with your therapists. We have to figure out how to do that, whether it's with the Rav. But we, we should keep in mind that tonight is an awareness. It's the concepts. Even if you hear, you know, some negative things, it sounds like so negative. But for some people, they have to figure it out. Some people should do different, shouldn't, whatever it is. Very, you know, it could be very vague, but every person should have a place where they can discuss it, figure out where they are and what am I looking for? Am I getting the help I need? So Mitzvah Shem, we should have a lot of Siyat Dishmaya, and it's supposed to have with us from Moshe Ratberg to help us to discuss it, to see um, a lot of the information is coming out of your office. So you see the things happening. So Mitzvah Shem will help us, guide us, and give us the insights that we need. Shkoyach. Shkoyach, Lach for a beautiful opening. We're going to get into it, Moshe. We have a lot of things to say over here. Another half hour, and be ready. Okay, so tonight's topics to share what we're the, what's titled is titled, Is There a Concept of Too Much Therapy? And then the follow-up on that is, what are the roles of Rabbanim and therapists, and can they or do they overlap sometimes? 
So this is a, you know, I think a very, very important topic. I want to try to really clarify it. I want to go through the sponsors, first of all. Tonight's shear, first of all, my son is Shishiva Ganyakov in Lakewood over here is doing a big raise And all the parents are to give a lot of money and make sure the kids raise tons of money for the yeshiva. So I'm doing my part. So everybody, please, anybody who has extra mice and money, I'm sure everybody does, please, the links for the yeshiva. It's a tremendous yeshiva. My son's doing very well over there. Very proud of him. So anybody could join, help him raise his two, five, how much, three million, four million, how much he's raising, whatever. Not a lot. Please join in and help. And thank you for that. Okay, the sponsors tonight. Tonight's share is sponsored by a company called AccountEd Finance. Business success starts with having accurate reports and understanding of cash flow. Since 2017, Chaya Halberg of AccountEd Finance has been helping businesses with internal system designs and training optimal financial clarity. Chaya's extensive experience as a CPA, professor, problem solver, and coach has helped her set up and restructure hundreds of accounting and bookkeeping, bookkeeping systems for her clients gifting them clarity and confidence to rely on the information to make critical business decisions. All users of the system receive step-by-step -step training to understand their roles, responsibilities, to ensure accuracy of financial statements, payroll information, cost of goods, and all other aspects of the company. Hayes also offers through courses of bookkeeping, accounting staff to help them understand the entire accounting process. When training is done right, you can achieve excellence, accuracy through education. For more information, you can call or email her. Her, her email address is Chaya at account, accountedfinance.com. And our number is 848-299-2467. Again, that's 848-299-2467. Manachem will leave out all this information. She's basically a person that comes into the business, sets everybody the roles, gets the books number good. It's like a closet organizer, you know, like you have for your house. You need everything to be organized. That's what she does. She's excellent at it. And of course, she's a coach, Manachem, dedicated community member. So thank you for that. And uh, we'll send out all the information. And again, also the Kahila, Ramoshi Rapper, Kali Cheskel, Ms. Kihila has been the to thrive under his amazing leadership. There's the sponsor here tonight because they, they love Rav Moshe. He's an unbelievable Rav, an unbelievable person. I know him personally back in the day, right, Moshe? Back in the day, pre-Rav, you know. But um, now that we're here tonight, it's a to have you. Thank you for joining us, the head of Atzala. The floor is yours, Rav Moshe. Open it up. So first of all, thank you so much, Rav Moshe. Thank you, Nachan. Um, You know, the last time I was on the show, I was shocked by how many people actually listened. I got so many phone calls afterwards, people saying, you know, almost assuming that if I said something, I was referring to them. And I could not believe how many people actually listened to the show. And you know, I've heard a lot about it. It's like a Hamish Matz. If I was in Chateau Park, you guys are across the street presidential. This was like a, to be a community, a community conversation and to realize how much, how, how much, how much influence you have. So I think it's very important, as you already indicated, that these are gonna, we're gonna talk about some touchy topics. Um, I generally, you know, I, I don't have a great um, filter. I, I speak from with passion, but that doesn't mean that anything does may not apply to your particular situation. So as everything, you know, everything you hear in life should always be taken with a weighted grain, grain of salt. And I think that what you're doing, awareness, I hear so many people quoting so many different things from this program. It's incredible. Your reach is incredible. And of course, who should help. They should continue doing amazing things. And the reality is, you know, I think it's safe to say that when I was, when I went to go to social work school, I was in yeshiva, and I remember I turned to, to Machavrutz and I said, who do you know that's a therapist in Lakewood, a male therapist? And if I'm not mistaken, we were able to identify five therapists in Lakewood at the time. That wasn't so long. It was a 2000, became a therapist, I think, in 2009, 2007. You're talking about a couple of years ago. I think there were five that we knew of. There are hundreds today, and they are all extremely busy. So I think to say that 
the the concept that for the firm world was such a it was such a stigma, and there was so much which was there was so much denial or not so much denial, lack of awareness. I think we certainly turned the corner on that to a to a, a great degree, and it still amazes me to say when some people say you're a therapist, I don't know anyone in therapy. It's a, it's a fascinating thing because twenty percent of America is suffering with a, a mental illness. Twenty percent. So that means either you only have like eight friends and therefore you don't know anybody or your friends aren't in touch with, with, with they're not really telling you what's going on, you know, but to, or, or they should be in therapy, but they're not because there is a lot. There's so many people suffering. And I think that untreated mental illness and when we talk about mental illness it doesn't have to be schizophrenia, bipolar, or something severe, which I must get help for. Untreated mental illness, so has anxiety. OCD, it could destroy a person's life, ADHD. These, you know, the, you know, people make light of it. It's not when it, it's light when it's someone else. When it's you suffering with that, it is it, it could destroy a person's life. And I think we did tremendous, tremendous work. And I think this is where the balance comes in. You know, someone, you know, people talk on, you know, there's a conversation. Someone at Barker told me he was going out with a girl, and the girl asked him, So, you know, are you into therapy? And 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 Bob said, "What does that mean? Are you into therapy? I mean, to me, it's like someone saying, on you know, imagine some some girl asking a boy on a date, like, are you into surgery? Like, what does it mean you're into surgery? If you need it, then you're into it. If you don't need it, then generally people don't do surgery if you don't need surgery. And to me, therapy should be looked at as the same exact way. If somebody needs therapy and they're not going to therapy, they're 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 silly. It's like someone who has a hernia and says, I'm not doing it because I don't believe in surgery." So the concept of not believing is, is, is a weird concept. And I think what people mean is the abuse that certain people associate with therapy, people that are overusing therapy, people that are, are, are people think they're being mis, misguided in therapy. So I think that's the balance that, that has to happen. And the incredible thing is that today, Rabbeim and Rabbanim and teachers, they are probably the biggest referral source for therapists today. At least in my world, so many people are being referred by them. So that definitely, you know, that that concept is dissipating. I had, I realized that we were turning the corner. I may have said this over last time. I'm going. I was in, I was in yeshiva and BMG. And I'm going down one of the batim Josh, and I'm walking down the aisle. I want to go to the Oitzit to get to safer. And I hear someone yell out, "Rav Rotberg!" And I'm looking across. Now there's like nine rows, so I'm going down one aisle, and there's like nine seats to the next aisle. And there's someone there waving at me. And I'm looking at the person. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's a client of mine. And he's waving me, Rav Rothberg. And I'm, like, and I'm nodding to him, like, yeah, 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 I'll meet you in the back. And he points to his chavrusa and he says, this is Rav Rothberg, this is my therapist. And he's basically, that's my therapist. And I couldn't believe it. Like, like, and I want to bury myself. And he's proud and he comes to this friend to the bank to schmooze with me. And, I was, you know, and this is a person. That, then I'm not saying that that's, that's necessarily, you know, that's what should happen. But you see that that stigma, Baruch Hashem, is, um, is, is, you know, it's something which is dissipating. At the same time, I think we need to have a very, very important conversation about uh, what, what is that role of the therapist? And what are people using therapy for? And, in, and what, is, what is the balance of it? There are some major decisions in our life which was always something where you went to a Rav. You went to some decision. You needed to go to the God Ladar. Well, you needed to go, not a Rav, even a very educated person, a person, a picker, somebody who was trusted to make these huge decisions. 
And today, I think so many decisions are being made with people, with their therapists, and we've, to a certain extent, stopped, and we've cut out a big part of our life, which was always in existence and always needs to be in existence, and it's impossible without it. And part of it is because Rabbanim don't have time. Rabbanim are extremely, extremely busy. They're dealing with so many different things. And I think that if, if Rabbanim would get paid $200 to speak to them for 45 minutes, you know, maybe that would be, that would be different. But it's really, really difficult for people to have that relationship with the Rav to be able to really discuss it. But what happens is we have specialists in every field, but sometimes when someone's in therapy, they fail to realize that certain decisions, you know, is very, very important, that it can't just be made in their room. We have to include other aspects of our life in it and not to be so, so pigeonholed into looking at it in that way. So what I think is very, very important as well is that there are decisions being made by people which sometimes it's impossible to do alone in therapy. There's such a much broader picture which has to be discussed. So I think this is a discussion we need to have is, how do we balance the two? Because on one hand, I think there are people who are suffering, and we all know people who are suffering tremendously in, 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 you know, in, with, with severe mental health issues, or not even so severe, but things which could get addressed. There are children who are failing in school, and they risk failing in life because they're not addressing issues earlier. There are marriages that if they would address these issues in the first six months of marriage or the first year of marriage, by the time they end up in my office, which is usually end of life marriage, it's so much more complicated, so much more difficult. The damage is done to the children, to the couple, even if, we, even if we're zecha to be able to keep it together, but there's so much damage done. So on one hand, we need to get more people that need to be in therapy into therapy and stop with the concept of you into therapy, you're not into therapy. But at the same time, I think we need to redefine the role of the therapist and to know what, what do I use therapy for and what not? Am I overusing it? Does it make sense that, you know, that, that, that sometimes the you know, trivial things which people are, are quickly sending people to therapy for, you need to be in therapy and, and how many therapists and you know, some people are seeing multiple therapists every single week just to get by. Some people need it. Some people rely on it and they can't survive without it. And for some people, it's something which probably, it's, um, it's something which has to be thought about and considered. So I think, you know, that's the discussion we'd like to have tonight. And um, I'm sure there's, there's, there's so many questions associated with this, but I think this is the balance that we need to tread. You know, is a therapist is it is it Duster? Do they have the ability to make such tremendous life and death decisions? Now, often the therapist will say, I don't make decisions for my clients. They I empower them to make their own decisions. There's some truth to that at times. And at times, we, you know, people are relying on their therapist. So how do we balance the two? I think is one of the trickiest dances we need to have, we need to, to make to be able to do. And if we don't accurately do it, people could really, really get hurt in the process. And we're not going to utilize therapy to the way it should and can be used. For that opening, that's a very like general and a lot of questions came in. I'm at Shem. I hope everybody tonight is gonna ask the questions. Ramoshi is here to answer the questions and to really get into it and clarify all the things we are opening with. And uh, Ramoshi, we'll start with the polls and then we'll get into it, okay? Let's see if the polls work on your computer. Here we go. Three question poll. 
want everybody to answer it to the best of their ability. Three questions. Here we go. We'll launch in. First question. In your opinion, the amount of therapy out there today is three options. Way too much. Way too little. More people need more therapy. Or option three, the issue is most people are getting bad or wrong therapy. It's just a, it's just a question. Answer it how you feel. Second question. Who should be the main guidance upon making life decisions? Four options. Your therapist, your Rav, yourself and your family, or option four, therapist and Rav. From those four answers, who should be your main guidance upon making life decisions? Number three, now that therapy is more open, more openly discussed, more open out there, if you need therapy, are you comfortable going? Three options. Yes, if I need it, I will gladly go. Question two, no, still too embarrassed. Option three, I'm on the fence about it. Those are the three polls. We're going to get everybody to give your opinions, and then we'll share it, and then we will get into it. Again, anybody wants to ask a live question, please text our partners here on the screen. The live questions go first. We'll try to get to all the questions live and all the texts that are coming in, and uh, we'll get to it. Okay, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, Ramosh, we're going to share the poll with everybody and we'll review the answers together, okay? Okay, first question. In your opinion, the amount of therapy out there today is 16% of people feel it's way too much, 44% of people feel way too little, more people need therapy. And 39% of people say the issue is most people are getting bad or wrong therapy. Moshe, you see, you see the answer over there? I sure do. So what's your opinion on that? I want to know which one. I, if you want to know what I voted for, if it's an anonymous vote. I voted, I voted for all three. I voted for the third one. It's an issue is most people are getting bad or wrong therapy. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm basically asking for your vote. <laughs> Who should be the main guidance upon making life decisions? 0% of people felt it was a therapist. 21% of people feel a rub. Most people felt you yourself and your family should make the decision. 33% of people felt a therapist than a rub. What do you think about 0% thinking they're a therapist? I'm very pleased. Okay. okay, third question. Now that therapy is more open, more openly discussed, in your, if you need therapy, are you comfortable going? Most people said over 81% of the people, yes, if I, if I need it, I'm glad to go. 8% no, still embarrassed. 10% I'm on the fence. Seems like I'm ready to go. You're ready to go. Okay, we're going to start with some questions. Again, everybody wants to text, please text, and let's get into it, okay? Yeah. First question. I've been in therapy for a few years with my current therapist, who I am very happy with. I seem to be growing with him mentally and in all aspects of my life. I make many major decisions in my life together with him. I discuss with my therapist all the problems and together we come out with solutions and he's my go-to person. Is this the appropriate mahalach that I should be doing? Wow, okay. So obviously it's a, a very general question which essentially comes down to all my well, major decisions. All the, all the questions are meant to be answered generally. Okay. So, you know, should the question is, should I be making all major decisions with my therapist? You know, should my therapist be making all the, my major decisions for me? You know, it's that that's therapy was never intended to be 
as an advisor, as somebody giving you advice as what to do. As a matter of fact, people get very, very frustrated from therapy sometimes when people say, actually, tell me what to do. There's so many aspects which go into so many decisions. Could a therapist tell you when something which is related to, does anybody really know the effects of a divorce? Could anybody tell you when, you, when, when someone tells you to get divorced, what it's going to look like Pesach three years later when you're alone without your children and all the people that were, were rallying around you and telling you, do it, do it, do it, when all of a sudden they have nothing to do with you, all of a sudden they're not there for you. This is such a difficult decision. And generally speaking, when we allow, when, we, when somebody even considers to allow somebody else to make such major decisions for them, I think it's, it's something which, which should never, ever happen. I think somebody, a therapist, could empower a person to make decisions for themselves. But what about if the therapist has completely different hashkafas than you? You know, you're talking about whether your child, you know, should go to yeshiva or go to work. And, this, and the therapist is, is basically encouraging you one way or another based on their hashkafa. Is, are you able to tease that out, to be able to know what's, what's their personal life, what's their hashkafa? It's, it's something which we should never, ever, that's not what therapy is about. If I told you a statistic that therapists have a higher divorce rate in their own lives than almost any other profession. So am I going to a therapist because I want to know their opinion on, on, on their marriage? No, that's not what it's about. So I think therapy needs to be so much more client-centered where the person is empowering me to make my decision and is helping me with the skills I need to tease out what's normal, what's not, and very often, a good therapist, and you, when you see, when you're working together with good therapists, they're not making decisions for people. They're encouraging them to speak to a rough. They're encouraging them to speak, to get collateral from other people. This concept of two people sitting in a room, when that person has so little information in reality, what's going on in the broader picture of your life, in your hashkaf and things like that, I think people need to take a lot more responsibility and not just put it on my therapist. And my therapist told me to do this and my therapist told me to do that. So I think a therapist is very, very valuable and can save a person's life and change a person's life. But it can't be, it can't be something that we, we rely on in that way. So I think in short, the answer is, is it's great to process all major decisions with therapists, but you need to know what is the limit? What is, what is the, my therapist's place to say and what's not my therapist's place to say? And when I need to go beyond therapy, when it's not a question of my therapist's opinion, when it's a question of something broader than that, do I have the ability to go beyond that point? And if not, it's a tremendous, tremendous danger. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go to a live question. Hold on one second. Click on mute again. I'm muted again. We're just, I'm muted you again. I'm muted again. Okay, you're on. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. So I am in therapy. Um, I don't feel it's helping. Aside from that, I have a question about a mentor who is male, is a rabbi type of thing. Um, and I have a question of how can I know? How can I know if he is safe? How can I know if he is trustworthy? How can I know if like it is good for me without him having a license? Um, I'll just share that he does charge like like a therapist would, but he's not licensed. He doesn't call himself a therapist. He calls himself a mentor. Um, and I, I feel like it's helping and I like to go. I just feel uncomfortable with the fact of like so much is happening in the world today about like 
abuse and stuff. And not only that, even if I'm not afraid of that, just in general, how do I know if he's a person that I could trust um, if he's not licensed? Okay. Okay, a few parts to that question. First question, first part is, if, if someone is in therapy and they don't feel like therapy is actually helping. So one of the things to me is if somebody feels that therapy is not helping, then therapy is not helping. Because if you don't feel that it's helping, to go week in and week out, and there are people that just have it. It's part of my schedule. I need to go. No, and this we, mentor is not. This mentor is not instead of therapy. Working on finding a new therapist is any way on my agenda. Um, okay. I believe therapy can help, and I believe it has helped in the past. Right now, my therapist is not helping, but that's not the problem. Um, okay. I'm looking for a new therapist. That's nothing to do. Happens right. to be a, whatever. Right. Aside so, from that, okay. I have hashkafic questions, and I have like he's he just is a very smart person. And we talk about really smart things and it's really helping me. It's just this fear that is always there that like, maybe it's a problem. Maybe he's not okay. Maybe he's brainwashing me. Maybe he's going to do something on safe one time. Like, I don't know. Right. So I, I will tell you there's a few, a few parts to, to, to that, that, to this as well. Number one, the fact whether somebody is, is licensed or not, depends on the scope of the work they're doing it. So if somebody is there as helping someone process something and it's not in the scope of therapy, they're not trying to do things. You know, when somebody says, listen, I may not be a therapist, but I know everything there is to know about mental health. Very rarely is that true. Very often when people say, you know, people, if someone sticks within their profession of what they're good at and what they're doing, it doesn't bother me. There are more Rabbein, there are more Rabbanim, and there are more teachers that are helping people when they know that this is my scope. And it used right. to be in the olden days, people would go to who they go for advice for their therapists. They went to parents, they went to grandparents, they went to people they trusted, and they went to people who it made sense and it worked for them. So the fact that people are literally, Rabbein will tell me, I'm not a professional, so I don't, you're not a professional? You're more of a professional than I am. For 40 years, you're working with children. You're a grandmother who dealt with so many children. Don't ever, don't, that's, that's not good that we've, literally sideline side anybody who doesn't have a license. At the same time, there are specific issues that if someone without a license, who's not trained to deal with something, so as long as that person knows that and he understands what, what's my role as a, call it a coach, call it, and call it a mentor, call it whatever you want, and he's sticking within that, then it's fine. The, the concept of, you know, the, the gender issue, maybe he's going to do something unsafe, is something which is terrifying, I know that in my own practice, I've over the years changed more and more and more. And you know, I, I have, you know, besides the video cameras everywhere, I try very, very hard now, nothing anymore. Female clients, it's something which is it's which in this this in this climate, it's so easy to 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 even if unintentionally to to cross a boundary, to hurt somebody, to, you know, it, it, it's something which, again, it's not something which is preferred. All these terrible stories that happened were, were unheeded, things that went, went unheeded. So, you know, it's not something which, which to me, in my opinion, is a lechatchila. Now, I do have, you know, and, and I think that anyone that is, and even any therapist is going to have, they're going to meet, speak to people from the other gender, whether it's within a marriage or hearing that things happen, you know, if they're not keeping every single safeguard of, of Yichud, whether it's video cameras, open windows, if you're meet, meeting a woman, people that come in and out have the ability to, 
then I think it's something that, not because this person may be a problem, halacha was put in there for a reason, and even if it's, even, even the, 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 even if it's not the, the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, would certainly be extremely careful with that because it's something which, which in today's day, we have to really, really be careful. Um, so it's in an office that is attached to his house. And he told me that the door is open and people could come in and out, but never has anybody come in. And I don't know if I should believe him if the door is actually unlocked or not. Like it probably is unlocked, but nobody's going to come in. Right. I, I mean, I, I personally, I'm not talking about any specific case, but in general, there, there should be a video camera. And if there's a woman there, someone should have, someone should have access to the, someone should have access to that video camera at all times as well. I mean, this is not, this is 2022, we are still, 2022. This is, this is, this is something we need, we need to, to stop being, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking and saying 2020 hindsight, what we should have done. I think we need to be much more proactive now. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Okay, here's, here's another question that came in. My husband goes to, ther to therapy for years. The therapist won't speak to Myra. Is this a red flag? I think my husband is there way too long. Shouldn't the therapist know if he can't help anymore? I think he feels threatened by my rug talking to him. And this therapist was recommended by relief. Okay. So, you know, this, this, this question, I'm sorry, just so troubling on so many different levels. Because, again, I don't know the facts of the case, but let's just try to break this apart. Therapy is supposed to help people. And that means if a person is married and they have a spouse and that spouse has a rough, why are people scared to communicate? I get this all the time. I'm dealing with a case and the therapist will not talk to the rough. Why not? If, if, if it's not a red flag to me, to me it's a white flag. If you're not ready to communicate with all parties, just stop your job. And if the answer is, I don't trust that rough, I have a terrible experience with that rough, so have a conversation. But why? the reason why terrible things are happening, the reason why families are broken apart so many times is the lack of communication. Because to me, there's no excuse as a therapist. Now, my problem is I don't have so much time when people want to speak to this rough and that rough. But I want collateral. If we're really looking for the best of this couple, of this unit, then why don't we want all the information we could get? These are people integral parts of their lives. And sometimes it's, you know, it's like, I, you know, who's this rough to tell me what to do? This rough doesn't understand mental health. This rough doesn't get it. That's not anyone's job. It's not your job to prove my rough. And you could argue it's not my rough's job to prove my therapist. But certainly to be able to communicate, if somebody's refusing to communicate, I think that's, that's a, a serious question mark. Well, he feels, the therapists feel that they're um, individualized just for him. And he doesn't want to get mixed into everything going on. I'm here to help you. You know, you can bring up all the discussions. But once you bring in the Rav and you have to bring in her therapist, it becomes more hours, more time. You know, again, I can't tell you on this, on this particular case. But in general, a lot of times, how do misunderstandings happen? How do things happen? You have simple issues which get so complicated. 
And a lot of times, if I'm talking in a room with somebody, and you know, people do this to me all the time. They say, I've been in therapy for years ago. And I tell them, you haven't been in therapy for years. You've been talking about your narrative for years to a therapist with a therapist validating you for years. I want to pause you for a second. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Next question. I've been going to my therapist for a while now about my marital problems. My wife has met once or twice, but he is my personal therapist. According to him and me, the only option I have left is to get divorced since she is not mentally well. Is that something I could rely on my therapist or do I need to discuss it with someone else like a rove or a second opinion? Continue what you were saying. Oh, so this, this, this is the questions that keep coming up. And, and my, think about explain, it this way. Marcia, Marcia, explain the questions, everybody understands. Okay, so let's understand this question. A lot of times, somebody is going to a, ther to a therapist for years. They could be by this therapist for years. And they leave that therapy office and they say, listen, I've been in therapy for 10 years and my therapist says, I need to get divorced. And I want to tell you something. I mean, this, this doesn't happen once in a while. This is a daily occurrence throughout life. Now, this, this person wasn't really in therapy. Maybe he was. He spoke about his narrative. He spoke about his reality every single day without anybody seeing another son. I have a client who I've been seeing for almost three years. And he comes, he comes in all the time. I kept telling him, I never heard from your wife. I never heard from another side. And he refused. He absolutely refused. Um, he didn't want to come, didn't want, want me to hear from him. And I said, okay, but just, just know whatever we're talking here, there's a big problem. I've, not, I've yet to hear the other side. There's unfortunately a situation in the family and his wife actually came in with him and I ended up having a session with him. It breaks my heart that three years of therapy he literally wasted his time to a certain extent because once I got collateral from her, what she's experiencing and the same stories he was saying, how she's seeing it, it broke my heart. And I pointed it out to him. And literally in the next two, three months, we did more progress. We actually done, he's done therapy now. We did more progress in those two, three months afterwards than we've done all those years previous. So when somebody comes to make a decision like that, what, did the what, what information does the therapist have? It's not the therapist's fault. Therapists are not in the VM. I've had, I had clients who I saw for years and then they did horrific things. And people told me, how did you not know you were seeing it? We're not in the VM. We only know what you bring to us. We can pick up innuendo, but that's it. We're not going to know what's really going on. So when people come back and say, well, my therapist said this, does the therapist know what the other side? And yeah, maybe they met him once, maybe they met him twice. And that's why I say working together, what are we afraid of? And this is the, the this is the biggest part. And a lot of times egos get in the way. Sometimes it's privacy issues, confidentiality issues, because it's not the therapist's problem if the, if the if the couples won't sign off. But to say that question that you just asked, I think it's such a it's such an important thing because you know, a lot of times people even say, like, I feel so misunderstood. I just want to clarify something because I'm getting, getting a lot of texts. I'm sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but I just want to clarify. A lot of people texting HIPAA, they don't have rights. Obviously, we're, we're not talking about the therapist, right? Just clarifying. We're talking about the client should do this, right? Exactly. This exactly. Laws, you can't just talk to anybody around the other side. We're talking about people that are going to therapy that want to gain from it. This is what exactly. they need to do. Clarify that. Exactly. Getting, I think that, okay, very important. That's why I want to point out. This is not on the therapist. The therapist is, is got to, they, they have laws. They can't, they have to protect people's privacy. No therapist. And I have people who are angry sometimes say, if you were seeing this person, why didn't you tell me? You know, I didn't have consent till now. Well, even though you know me, we're friends. You couldn't just tip me off. I'm not losing my license for that, first of all. And second of all, halakhically, I'm not allowed to. 
because you can't go behind someone's back. Why would anybody trust to go to therapy ever? Nobody would ever go if, if, if you could get out because the therapist decides that's in their best interest. So it's not on the therapist, but this is on people that a lot of times people feel really good. Like my therapist is in my corner. Well, your therapist could be in your corner from today to tomorrow, but they only know what you're telling them. They don't know anything else. So I think that's a, a so, so that's a great illustration of this point. Well, what would you tell therapists if he's seeing someone they don't want to bring up anybody else, they don't want you to speak to anybody, what should the therapist do? So I let them know that, that you know, what we're discussing here is a very unfinished business. Now, there's a whole part of this that I may not know. I'll tell people, I said, it's very possible if I actually heard another side that everything we're talking about here would be, would be, would be different. So I, I, I think that we need to at least be honest. The therapist can't force clients to do what they don't want to do. They can encourage them, but they have to at least be honest with them. It's not to know that this decision is really, I don't know the other side. So it's, it's just, it's as good of a decision I can make without with, as, as good of a decision you could make together with me without me hearing another side. And we have to be very clear of that. And continue. And continue session. You know, it, it's one of those things as a therapist I, I hate doing because a lot of times you wonder if you're doing more, more, more harm than good. But sometimes you have people who the other the spouse is abusive. They're, they're, they're suffering tremendously by getting them involved. It can make things worse. This is their only safe space. This is the only place where they can actually be heard. And it's the only way they're able to, to go on. So I can't make that decision for people. So if somebody wants to do that, I will continue because sometimes that's the right decision. But it scares me, it scares me tremendously to know that when someone is using this our sessions as information and they're not going to talk to a love, they're not going to talk to somebody you know, beyond this conversation, not getting involved, a wife, a wife's therapist, somebody. It, 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 it's, it's, it's terrifying, but at times it needs to happen that way. So it's not for the therapist to make that decision. You're saying there is a possibility that it makes sense that if they don't bring in other people, there is that option, but it should be discussed with the therapist. And you as a therapist are ho is hoping that it's true because you never know. Exactly. And sometimes that could be, you know, sometimes having that, that allowing more elements to come in, being able to work through, could actually solve problems. And when people, the reason why therapy has such a bad rap I don't think it's as much the therapist's fault sometimes as the people using the therapist. When people say, my therapist told me to do X, Y, and Z, and you'll talk to the therapist, say, what, what's going on? Of course, once you got consent, you say, listen, you know, I had no consent to talk to anybody. This is information I got. So what? So when people use that word, I'm in therapy, or my therapist, it's the consumer's job, it's the consumer's job to be able to truly, to truly be able to, um, you know, to use that in the, in the most responsible, effective, efficient way. Wow. It could be tricky. Okay, so here's a, another I question. Just wanna, I just want to, sorry, I'm not going to ask a question. Sure. I just want to clarify two things just to get to the clarity of this one point. So number one, in general, when somebody's in therapy, unless it's a very personal issue, does it make sense he should bring in every once in a while a spouse or somebody else just to like, I guess, reconfirm? Because, you know, it's like it's his little painting, his little version. And he's in his own self-therapy. So would it make sense? Not talking about a marital issue. I would say marital issue. He should. But let's say he's dealing with different issues. Does it make sense once in a while to bring in, whether it's a family member or somebody you feel comfortable with, to help give a different view of what they see going on? That's number one. Number two, somebody sent in a very interesting question. I want to bring it up also. Um, somebody said, if that's the case, then it needs to be all people involved. What do you do when a parent sends a teen to therapy and the therapist says they can't discuss with the parent? 
just like absorbing up those two angles and then we can go to the next. Uh... Okay. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you, uh, uh, you know, I'm a very big fan of, I meet, if I, when I meet, meet somebody, I always say, I'd love to meet your wife, come in for a session together, even if it's anxiety, whatever it is. About, uh, about a month ago, I had this fellow that was by me. I kept asking him, you know, he, he, had, so, he, he, he had a lot of anxiety, anxious tendencies, but swore to me that there was nothing really impacting his life. And every time I would ask him, he denied it. And it was just like, one of, it didn't make sense to me. When his wife comes in and I said, like, you know, your, your husband seems to have a sort of a anxious tendency. She rolls her eyes and says, tendencies? Did he tell you how long it takes him to lock the door at night? And I said, no, tell me. And she and he like looks embarrassed at the ground. He says, no, it doesn't take me so long. So what do you mean so long? She said, well, it takes him about 20 minutes. He goes, no, not 20 minutes. About this, down to 10 minutes. I'm seeing this guy for at least a year and a half. I said, hello, how many doors do you have? My house, I think I have like 13 doors, a bunch of sliding doors. He has two doors, two doors, locked, locked. I mean, what does it cook? What does it take? And it, 10 to 15 minutes. And then she says, did he ever tell you about the bathroom? I said, no. What about the bathroom? She says, well, sometimes you go to the bathroom, you can be there for an hour. He says, no, not an hour. He says, not an hour, not an hour. So something in the morning before davening. My, my alarms went off. I'm like, whoa. And I turned to him and said, when I asked you these questions, what, what were you thinking when you denied it? And he says, I don't think those it used to be bad, but now it's much better. You know, so this is why this, this woman in that five minutes just saved this person two years in therapy. That and a little Zolof, he's going to be fine. I mean, it, he saves his life. So, so to me, I love bringing in aspects because people don't know. Don't, people don't see everything about themselves sometimes. You know, an, an alternative view, what are we afraid of? Now, with teenagers and clients, it is so difficult because on one hand, if I'm a 16-year-old teenager and I'm going to a therapist, and if there's a chance that this therapist is going to go back to his parents, why would they tell me it? Now, legally, you know, the parents, legally, the parents could say, I need you to tell me, and I will always tell the parents, I will tell you, but just know that's the last time he's coming back to therapy. So that's a discussion which it's very, very tricky because, you know, and a lot of times parents say, look, you know, I know you, you know me, you couldn't just let me know like quietly that my kid is doing X, Y, and Z. And I understand the parent and they're not wrong. And if, and if, and if my child is in that situation, the therapist didn't tell me, I'd be furious at the therapist. I would be, doesn't mean, doesn't mean I'd be right, but it means I'd be furious. So these are the, these are things so what I generally do is I have the conversation with the parents beforehand and tell them, look, here's what's going to happen. Your kid is going to tell me something, and he's going to tell me. If it gets back to my parents, I'm never going to therapy again. Are you okay with that? And we discuss it. What are we going to do about it? Because this is truly a very tricky situation. Obviously, when it gets to dangerous things, it's one thing. And the other part is to give referrals to teenagers and start sending them to other professionals or telling them to do other things. That's, a, that's already another whole other ballpark, which I think is more of a slippery slope. Here we are, we're on to the next question. I've been in double session for the last three years. My husband has been uncomfortable about it for a while now. He keeps saying it's $500 a week. And what's the point after so many years? My response is I need this no matter what the cost is. Do you agree that if a person wants therapy, they should always allow, allow them to go and never restrict someone from wanting to get help? Wow. I mean, 
you you write that in a way that if I disagree with it, that I'm mamish like a, I'm 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 the biggest hater in the world. Um, you need that in, what? You need it. Yeah, if you need it, right? So so I, I mean, the, the thing is like this. I think this this is again this is the double edged sword. There are so many people who are struggling so much, and the spouses don't understand it. I have so many clients who get married, and their their new wife tells them, "I don't know why you're doing this whole therapy thing. You don't need therapy." And I you know when they were dating, they were fine with it. You don't need the therapy. You don't need the medication. And Rahman al Islam, I mean, it could do horrible things to take that away from a person who a person who truly needs it. Just because you're not educated enough to understand it, just because you don't have that breadth of knowledge it, it, of, of what, what it means to that person, it's very, very dangerous. At the same point, you know, certain people have literally taken up therapy as being their best friend. So there are, there's, um, there, there's, there's one particular client who I have who I love this couple dearly. They're great, great people, you know. I, I would say they're probably in seven sessions a week at times, individual once or twice, talking about thousands of dollars a week. And there's a parenting coordinator, there's a parent, child therapist, group family therapist, therapist, processing therapist. And you know what? These people are the most lovely people in the world. But talking about spending sixty dollars to $80,000 a year on therapy, because we say that this is a need or because it's what I need, doesn't make it a necessity. It means something I feel like I need. So I think like everything else, we gotta have some ability to, to, to create some, some, you know, some, some balance. You know, if somebody is in therapy for years and years and years and they're not, and, and, they, and they, they, they need this to get by, you can't take that away from them. But when people have taken therapy to such levels and it's just take over their, takes over their whole life, I mean, this particular woman told me that she spends like a big chunk of her week managing just the different therapist appointments and figuring out what went away. I think a little bit, we have to look in the mirror sometimes and say, for what? What are we gaining with this? And if it's and if we're doing this for years and it's not working, maybe time to take a step back and see what is going to work. So I can't answer that particular question. The answer, if somebody truly needs it, there's not even a question it can't be taken away from them. But when somebody uses therapy as the place where I'm going to vent, sometimes it's also tremendously needed. When it's just my best friend and I enjoy going and that's what I'm used to doing, you know, I think it's it becomes like any other luxury. We need to decide whether we could afford that luxury or not. Okay. Let's get to the next question, okay? Yeah. Ask a lot of texts for people waiting, but we're going to try to get to some of these questions. They're really good. I'm a newly married man. I've had a very, very hard and unhealthy upbringing. I started therapy Hashem right after my marriage. As soon as I worked through my childhood, to work through my childhood traumas and experiences I experienced. My therapist is encouraging me for my mental health to cut all ties with my parents and siblings while I go through this healing journey. What are your thoughts on this? It sounds hard, but it makes a lot of sense to me if I want to heal myself. Moshi, the million-dollar question of the night. You know, Rabbi Rapper. there are times when people are in such abusive relationships, where people are such, where there, there's such horrible things going on, where that absolutely is something that needs to be considered. But I, I, I want to tell you, I mean, 
I think about this question. You know, at times there are, these are parents who gave up their lives to their children. They didn't go on vacations because they were home with their children. They lost sleep at night because they were taking care of their kids. And luxuries they've given up because of these children. They gave up their lives for these children. And sometimes, you know, a therapist or a rub or somebody will just say, you know, if you're having a difficult time, you're getting triggered, then no, maybe it's time to just cut ties with them. And they'll all say, just for now. Now, that is a decision, which to me is one of the toughest decisions. When you make that decision, you are destroying people's lives, taking children away from their parents, because sometimes therapists are not equipped to give the, the clients what they really need. What the client really sometimes needs is to learn resiliency. How do you stand up to your parents? How do you create boundaries? How do you create safe spots that you, that you should be able to cope with it and deal with distress? And it's easier sometimes to just say, you know what? It's not their fault. The, the clients are resistant to it. The clients, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay, cut ties. You know, it's something which is, which if we could teach people how to jump into the lion's den and be resilient, and to and to and put, and put their foot down and not to give it and not to be abused and not to be run over. That's really what, what, what has to happen. Now, I want to just qualify this by saying I've been involved in cases where we, we absolutely needed to cut ties with, with a parent. Rahman al-Islam, tremendous abuse and trauma. And we tried everything. The first thing I always want to do is I want to talk to the parents. Let's try. Can I talk to the parents? Rough. We worked so hard to do anything else. And you know, just to cut off a parent from, from a child, this parent would die, would, would go through fire for that child. And then because of whatever is going on, people are so flippantly saying it, I think it's terrifying, which is not to say that it's not necessary at times, but I think the first thing is we have to approach this decision if the therapist says, if it was his own child, if somebody was about to take your child away, what would you say? And people would say, well, why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you tell me? Okay, so maybe we did. Why didn't you let me know? Why didn't you share? Let's say we did everything. So the next part is we try to build resiliency. We try to give the client the skills, and it's not on the therapist. It's the client ready to learn the skills, to learn how to go there and be able to handle it. If the answer is that, that there's no way to do it, so then unfortunately, sometimes these things have to happen. But that has to be a, not just the last resort. People have to understand the ramifications of that. These are parents from the children. Now, at the same time, those same parents who gave up, who will do anything for their child, destroyed their children, caused them abuse, caused them trauma, that they're suffering their whole lives. And, and, they, and they are sometimes, they have, they, they, even if they don't mean well, they have personality disorders. They're just people that are, are difficult people. And no matter what, they will not listen. Sometimes these decisions have to be made. But this is not a flipping decision. This is a decision I would always talk to a rub first. Definitely talk to make sure that I got it every eye, post every key that nothing that could have been done wasn't done. If the decision has to be made, is there a better way how to do it? Maybe a therapist can be in touch with the parents every few weeks, um, something that they shouldn't feel like like cut off all the way. I don't know if it's you know it's gonna help let's, or let's make it worse. About, let's just talk about this concept, this whole cutting off thing. It's obviously a big topic. You know, you know, you know. There's a whole organization of people that the kids don't talk to them. The whole thing after marriage, and so the question I guess Menachem was asking: If in those rare cases where it really is needed, shouldn't it be done with a mahalach that they they have some type of connection, even if it's not a direct connection? 
you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't aware of this organization, but I want to tell you one thing. The most painful conversations I have with people, and you know, I deal with a lot of end of life crises, with a lot of Rahman al Islam, people who, who have you know, died, tragedies I deal with. The most pain I ever hear in my life are parents who were alienated from the children. That is the most pain I hear from anybody. And I really wonder did we do everything we could do no not to get there? And exactly what you said. Let's say the person is not healthy enough to be there. Please keep in touch. My parents tell me, let me see a picture of my grandchild. Let me know what's going on. Something. Is this a punishment or is this protection? If it's protection because I get triggered from this person because this person abused me and whenever I go back there, keeps doing it, maybe that decision has to be made. But if that's a punishment, who are we to punish people's parents? You know, parents deserve basic, in my opinion, is almost never okay not to do those things. You would have to really give me a good argument why not to. Now, I dealt with a case recently where the right decision was not to. We met with the parents. Askana met with the parents. Rabbana met with the parents. The parents were hiring private investigators to follow around the, the, the family. They would move. They, got a, they, they would take pictures of them. And they would start questioning, going around to neighbors. These were very, very sick people. And we, we can say we did everything. We worked on it for two years. And at that point, no, they, these parents deserve nothing. Not a picture, not anything. We tried everything. They abused everything. <laughs> in the majority of cases, to, to divorce a parent from a child is something which I think is it, it, it's a crime. It goes on in divorces. Just literally just cutting people away from, from parents. I don't see, and there are so many cases where, where it's better for the child because a, a parent is unhealthy. I'm not saying there aren't cases like that, but the flippant attitude towards it of just using one against the other, no one is winning from this. We're killing families. We have a live question. You're on. Hi, you hear me? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, I recently saw two types of therapists for two separate bot related issues. And thank God my spouse was very supportive. Um, but overall, my parents um, were and still are pretty cynical of the whole therapy world. And they actually don't know that I went. It was kind of a recovery, um, like postpartum type of situation that I went through myself and wanted to keep it within me and my husband for a lot of reasons. And, um, you know, now in hindsight, I'm happy I did. Um, but my question is, because I'm in a much healthier place, um, I'm discussing it with certain people and, and, you know, trying to be a help to people who are going through similar things or just let, letting them know that, like, I did it and it's okay. And if you're, you know, going through something similar, like, don't be afraid of it. And I'm, I'm just trying to help people who are going through the same thing, um, not on a major scale, just like as a friend. Um, and my question is, do I like, like for my parents, my, my parents still don't really know the extent of what I went through, first of all, and second of all, that I went to, that I, that I went to therapy and I'm not embarrassed of it at all. My question is more just, um, do I discuss, do I open it up with them? Do I keep it on the low? And I'm saying I'm still considered relatively newly married. So this is like a, you know, long-term answer. Okay. What a great question. This comes up all the time. You know, there's um there's a concept of a need to know basis. There's certain things that parents need to know, certain things they don't need to know. To me, it depends. Obviously, I don't know you, I don't know the details, but I'll tell you what some of the factors are to me. The fact that people have to sort of hide the fact that they're in therapy 
as if it's a shame, like they're embarrassed about it, as if it's a stigma, as if they're less than. I always tell people, and I believe this is true, the healthiest people in society are actually in therapy. The unhealthiest people in society don't have access to therapy, can't afford therapy, or aren't aware that they need therapy. So the fact that, is, that, that there are people that feel like, and not because you, you're shameful of therapy for yourself, you're not, but what are my parents going to think about me? How are they going to judge me? Sometimes it's very important for someone to say, I don't care. I'm not going to go for the rest of my life or for whatever, going to my parents with that the chip on my shoulder as if like, oh, they don't know. There's something about me. They don't know. If you want to go feeling proud, there's nothing I'm hiding from you. If that's important to you, then you then absolutely you should do it. But you need to you need to first go through the options in your mind of what's going to happen. If they are invalidated, sometimes they're surprisingly supportive. Sometimes they're surprisingly not supportive. They're mocking. They're invalidating. As long as you go through the scenarios in your mind and the, and the, and and you could handle, you know, what the possible downside is, then it might be the right thing to tell them. Now, if the upside is not that big, I don't really care if they do know. They don't know. It's just another aspect of my life. And it's not then it's not even sometimes not even worth it to go through the cost benefit analysis. So I think this is the information you need to take and really use that to process about is this the right thing for you to do it? Okay, we have a live question now. Let's go to the live. Am I on? Yeah, hello, good to see you again. Thank you, Rabbi uh, Rodberg, for taking my question. Um, my question is a, basically a general question. Um, when therapy is kind of forced onto somebody by a court or a business, such as parenting therapy or whatever kind of therapy there might uh, come up in those kind of situations, and that person originally is not interested in engaging in therapy for that specific matter, what are the chances that this is going to do, it's basically going to do more harm than good? That's my question. I hope you understood it. Yeah. So I'll tell you. I think this whole concept of forcing people into therapy is um, generally backfires a lot, in my opinion. Well, therapists see it differently. Um, in my opinion, we don't gain. I see a lot of parents forcing kids into therapy. Uh, when I used to see kids, I'd have these kids like literally kicking and screaming in the parking lot. They finally come and sit down. And I'm like, who just won? Like, what is the point of this? This is really going to be a great conversation. Or the kids that were bribed, like, I'll give you, uh, you know, you come three times, I'll take you to Blopite or, uh, you know, uh, you know, what I used to work on County Line Road. Right after that, we're going to go to the restaurant and they've come in to go to the restaurant. I, I, I don't, I'm not a, a, a tremendous fan of, of any of the force therapy. However, I'll tell you something interesting. What I did find is a lot of people actually are not that opposed to therapy. A lot of people don't want to voluntarily go to therapy. A lot of people will say, a lot of men that come into me and they'll say like, you know, why are you here? What's going on? My wife wants me to be here. Within 10 minutes after we got through the whole, the whole spiel, how they don't want to be here. They don't believe in therapy. They don't need therapy. They know better than therapists. Therapists are all dumb and all the stereotypes of therapy. And they make more money than therapists. And after they're done with all the spiel, many of them actually are happy to be in therapy. And it'll take you three, four sessions for it to happen. I had this one fellow who walked in. Like he sat on my windowsill and he looked around the office and he tells me, he says, I mean, I'm just curious. He tells me, how much could you make a year? I said, I said, how much can I make a year? I said, I make a lot of money a year. He says, I bet you I made more money this month than you made the whole year. I said, I bet you you're probably right. 
I said, you're probably not here because I'm so wealthy. I said, if you want, one, if you came here for a loan, is you're in the wrong place. He tells me, says, you know that I know a lot about psychology. You know, it started the whole spiel. And he doesn't need this. And his wife is this. His wife's so into therapy. This guy, he's listening right now. I love you like a brother. It's three years later. We've done more work together. And he's gone further than anybody else. And I know of. And um, I can't take any of his referrals anymore. So stop with your referrals. But I love you. But I can't take any more referrals. But this person didn't do a, a, didn't do a 180. I mean, you know what? It was, it was incredible how much he evolved. So it's very hard to give rules because sometimes people really, really, they just need that push. But this whole mandated thing, almost like I have a child who's kicking and screaming to come. So what do you do in therapy? What is therapy? You do therapy? No, it's a conversation. It's a relationship. How do you force relationships? You know, it's if someone doesn't want to engage. But it's a great question because it keeps coming up. So what do you do if the child needs therapy and they don't want to go? And the same thing is with medication. People are asking. They have to take it. They don't want to. Should we force you know, you know, that's a great point you bring up because medication to me is, is a little bit different in that aspect, you know, because a lot of times you force medication and they'll fight the effects of the medication. So, it's, you know, again, with, with children who have severe ADHD and they don't want to take it, they can't function in school. I think a lot of times we need to because they really, really can't function. You know, there's, it, it, it's interesting because in the world, like people always say that, you know, all the psychiatrists, they all just, they all want to push medication. Right. You know, there's this world out there. Everyone's on medication. I honestly believe, I honestly believe there's not enough medication. Out there. Yeah, of course, certain people are abusing it. But medication, some people that need medication need medication. Psychiatrists, good psychiatrists, don't just put people on medication for nothing. I'm more comfortable with forcing, me give you an ultimatum around medication than I am with therapy. Because medication, at the end of the day, it's not as effective when you're fighting it, but there's a better chance of that working than having some kid who doesn't want to be there and the entire session is discussing why he doesn't want to be there and why his mother's so dumb for making him come. Or a guy who comes in and he's busy fetching about all the other re the reasons why he shouldn't be here and is not allowing you in. So if anything, to medication, to me, when people say there's way too much medicine out there, I think it's not enough medicine out there. They really, this the medicine is, is changing people's lives. There are people suffering, children, adults that could change their lives. Oh, there's such a stigma about it. And there's so much misinformation about it. Now, again, it doesn't work for everybody. There are people that have bad side effects. There are people who are overly medicated, like everything else, like everything else. But I think there's a difference, in my opinion, between medication and therapy. With medication, it's not so much, it's more of an ultimatum to me. to certain people like you just can't live with this person. You're not going to take medication. You just can't live with it. They say therapy, they might have to wait. Yeah. And at the right time, and it sometimes, sometimes we, hurt, we hurt the person's chance to ever go to therapy. They have such a bad experience and they hate therapy so much that you, not just you didn't gain, you actually hurt them that they're never going to want to go to therapy. Very good. So here's another question. We're a young married couple and now in the first year of marriage, we're having serious issues. Sometimes we don't talk to each other for a few days straight. My husband Davin's in a local basement shul with a new young girl. I'm not familiar with therapists or rabbis or anything. Plus, this is extremely embarrassing. Should I go with my husband to this Rav to discuss our issues? I really don't want to. Wow. Um, okay. So, obviously, again, general question. I don't know who the Rav is. Obviously, we don't know what the scenario is. But you know what's amazing to me? When there was a question in Lakewood, 
I think it was in 1976, I believe it was, around then, there was a question of Siamese twins, right? Siamese twins is a couple from Lakewood. The baby was born in Mammoth Medical, and um, they actually chopped the babies to chop. They needed to do surgery where one, one baby would be, one baby would die, one baby would, would be saved. And um, I actually, the, the Dr. Cooper, famously ended up being the Surgeon General, did the surgery. When they had a Shiloh, what to do with that baby? You know, I don't know who the Rav of Lakewood was. I don't know if it was probably Rabbi Abadi, whoever it was at the time. He didn't answer the Shiloh. They went to Moshe Feinstein. And because they understood that certain Shilohs, you can't go to the local Rav. I think people don't understand that if you go to the typical Rav, he may know Hilchah Shabbos very, very well, may know Basa Bechalov. But if you ask him a complex question about ribbis, it's not, it's just not his field. He may be a really nice person. So if you don't have that information, who is the person? What does he know? Just because a person's a rav doesn't mean that this is what he's good at. It doesn't mean that this is what his, that's what his specialty is. So imagine like you went to, you know, you had somebody that was, um, that, you know, he had a, he, had, he was having, he was having, you know, real difficulty breathing. And he went to a podiatrist and says, look, you are a doctor. So you're a doctor. So just tell me, just listen. You went to medical school. You got to know something. You know, it, it'd be a, it's a silly analogy because nobody would even think of it. When it comes to Sean Bias, for some reason, people just have that tendency to do what's most, most convenient and most comfortable without even doing some serious, finding out anything. Now, I'm not saying sometimes you can have a conversation and you get a sense whether this person really has experiences you understand. But this fact that we give up our lives, and we're putting our lives in people's hands that we don't know, we don't confirm or anything else, whether it's therapists, whether it's Rabbanim, whether it's anything else, it's, it's just terrifying to do that. Shouldn't, shouldn't they go to the local rabbi? I'm saying, shouldn't people start there? Where should they start? With the, the no, that, uh, no, absolutely. They should definitely, they could, they, nothing they should, they could definitely go to the local rabbi and say, look, this is what's going on. Do you have experience in the field? They may say, no, I don't have experience in this field. Or they may say, call relief. Now, by the way, you mentioned, you know, someone mentioned before about a therapist referred to by relief. Relief can't take responsibility for everything, you know, that, that any, any any therapist says. But there's certainly, you know, a good start. So if the, ther- if the Rav says, you know, I have a contact here. I, this is somebody I know that's involved in. It's definitely a good place to start. But a person can't just, we can't do this in anything in our lives. We can't give over our lives to, to somebody because the person has a title and therefore decide that, that that's it. This is my, my final destination. Let's go, let's go deeper. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So the question gets a little more complex over here. We've been dealing with issues with our struggling son now. I mean, that's, that's the title of the question, but it could really be anything, really. My Rav and my therapists are completely giving different directions on the issues and how to deal with them. I'm not sure which way is the correct way. What is proper dastura when dealing with these type of things? So let's say, for example, you're dealing with a struggling kid, you're dealing with a parnosa issue, you're dealing with a shalom bias issue, the therapist has his malach, and the Rav has it. They, don't, and they do speak to each other, they just don't agree with each other. Yeah. Um, so obviously there's also so many different factors to consider over here. Now I think I think there's a couple of there's a couple of things there. A lot of times, a rav will not agree with a therapist because they don't believe or they're not aware of 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 a of an issue. So, for example, let's say you have a, I had this, this scenario where a a, a um, 
a child at severe, severe OCD, not child yeshiva, but terrible OCD. I mean, OCD, which was crippling. And the therapist was suggesting that maybe the boy not daven, you know, or limit his davening to a minimal amount. And, um, you know, and, and, and uh, that would help as far as an exposure, it's part of a complex exposure. The Rav was aghast. He was like, what does that mean? You know, he was not, he was not aware of this whole, didn't understand how intense OCD could be. He was like, fuck it, the more you dive, the better it is. You know, it, it, these, sometimes you need to know whether the breadth of knowledge is, is, is they're on the same page. So for example, the same way if I went to a, if, if a doctor told me I needed to do surgery and, and my local Rav told me, don't do the surgery, I'm going to listen seriously to the Rav if I trust him and respect him. What does he know that I don't know? What do I want to look out for? Of course, I'm going to take that seriously. But if he tells me on a medical level, I'm a person that read up a lot, and I think that you don't need this surgery, it would be, it would, it wouldn't be within the realm of the for him to tell me not to do the surgery. Where it's more complicated is where the where the where the where the two worlds collide is where there's an overlap. Where a therapist is saying, like, what's the big deal if your son's not going to sit in yeshiva? So go to work. Now, maybe that's fine for the therapist, or maybe it's not. Is that the therapist's role? So we really need to know when they're not agreeing, what are they not agreeing on? Are they not agreeing in the modality of therapy, what works and what doesn't work? Are they not agreeing on, on um, is it a Shkafa issue that, that the therapist thinks that Hashkafically this is good and the rough doesn't? So you have to know that before you, you even address this question. But one thing is for sure, whenever I see that there's strong opposition and two people I respect and they're strongly, they're, they're opposed, I'm certainly, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a, 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 flag, a red flag to me that I really want to really look into this better. I may ask somebody else, I may get a third opinion. I want to think this over. So I think, you know, it's hard to answer the question because I don't know exactly what the arguments are about. But I think these are the factors that have to be considered when you're talking about such a question. So here's, here's another one. I am not into therapy at all. My wife is very into it and she's pro-therapy. My simple question is, what, at what point do we go to therapists? And what point is it premature or an overkill? How do we know when dealing with any issue, when it arises, what level is needed, therapy or rub or anything else? Uh, you know, I, I think this is this is the number one question of the night, and this is a million dollar question, and especially since it can't be answered, this is the this is the question. I mean, ultimately, I think the world has gone a little bit crazy to a certain extent, where you know, you literally, I had this I had this today. This this um, someone asked me says, I know you don't deal with kids, but I'm looking for a therapist for my two year old. I'm thinking, I said, wow, two is little, and I said, why do you why do you need a therapist for your two year old? He says, very, very aggressive. I said, what does aggressive mean? He says, you pick him up with gravy glasses and throw it away. And I said, okay. Um, well, my wife was just holding her. She was holding her. She took a snoot and pulled it off her head in front of people. And I, I thought it was a joke. And I started laughing. He says, like, do you think we should? I mean, I think we've lost our minds. And it's, again, I'm, not, I'm not, not an expert. It sounds like a two-year-old to me. I mean, that, that's, that's what it sounds like. I think we've come to a place in society where we think we fix everything with therapy on one hand. So for example, Rabbeyan, who don't want to deal with certain cases, which they used to, they just send to therapy. Because sometimes Rabbeyan are so overwhelmed 
they just say, you know, just send this kid to therapy. Rabbanan. I think a lot of times Rabbanan can't handle it to just go to therapy. Now, I think that, that and, and, you know, so, so on one hand, there's a tremendous abuse of that. To me, we go to therapy when one or two things are, are happening. So let's say as, as, as um, with a child or something like that, is I think we want to know what's normative behavior. And I think before people talk about where, we want to know, do we have a goal? Number one, why am I going? What's my goal? And is this a normative behavior? If it's a normative behavior, then we shouldn't just rush to go to therapy if there's ways to deal with it with that. If it's not, and it's affecting our life, and it's, it's, it's getting in the way of our life, and in a way which is not a normative way, then, then at that point, I think we need to interview a therapist. Because so many times the therapist will say, well, you know, yeah, this is an issue, but there's not much therapy you could do for this. Or I could do this, but, you know, you probably could do this on your own. So I think that's where, that's the gray area where we have to stop being a little bit careful that we can't just take everything and just run it and, and just run to therapy with it. We have to be able to take a step back and, 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 and ask people like, and try to get a sense of what's normal, what's not, and speak to the therapist themselves. Therapists will generally be very honest with you. And if you say, I insist, I want my kid to go to therapy, therapist will say, fine. But if you ask the therapist, do you think my child needs therapist? None needs therapy. Many therapists will say, to be honest with you, this seems like something you could try to deal with without it. So people just say, I'd rather be safe than sorry, go to therapy. I don't think safe than sorry, go to therapy. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think what's happening more is cases of trauma and abuse. I had the most horrible, now, when I started working in private practice, I started working for Matis Miller. I believe he was on your programs. And the first kid I saw, this, this, this story was, was blew my mind. See this kid really sweet, Bacher, and he starts telling me about Shabbos, about fever going off the derech, and he's not sure when, what. And I'm trying to get him, I said, so, so he had issues of emuna. It was my first, very first, in the second, second, second teenager I, I saw. And he keeps bringing up to me that he has these thoughts about going off the derech, and, and he, he doesn't know when it's going to happen or what he's going to look like. And I started exploring, do you want to go off the derech? He's like, no, I don't want to. Then finally, after four sessions, he goes, I don't understand why you don't understand what I'm talking about. He pulls out a crumpled piece of paper from his, from his jacket. And he hands it to me and he says, read this. And I read this, it's an article from one of these magazines, which was dated two and a half years before I was seeing it. And it basically spoke about a story about a boy that was that went through trauma, boy that was molested, and his whole, how he ended up going off the derrick. This kid was convinced for two and a half years that he is going off the derrick because he read in all the magazines that that's what happens. So now there is a stigma in the world that if something happens, then we need to go to therapy, which is a, we, a lot of the therapy that's getting pushed. There's a resiliency factor. I think it's horrible what we do to people. People suffer, and then we insist, you mean you must be in therapy, you have to. Some people do, some people don't. There's a resiliency factor. And the fact that anything traumatic that happened to a person that nobody could recover, they can't be normal if they're not in therapy, is, is a disservice. It's not fear. There are people who are doing great. We don't need to stuff them into therapy. Now, there are many people that need to. And a lot of times people say, deep down, he needs therapy. I don't know if it's that deep down that the person doesn't see it and they're doing fine and they're resilient and they're, they're doing well. Who said? Who said? Why? Who made these rules? And so the question, again, going circling back to your question, is like, at what point do we go to therapy? Is First of all, if, if the person is, is doing well, but we're just afraid that they need therapy. They must need therapy. If some, something happened, they must need therapy. They saw something, they were exposed to something. They, we had, that's, that's, not, that's not always the case. And number two is, let's speak to the therapist first and ask them, 
if they feel the person needs therapy, or you're pushing your agenda or your belief or your goodwill on them, but it's not necessarily the case. If if the parents and the Rebbe, they don't have time, deciding that we're going to send them to a therapist to take care of it, what would what would really be the downsides? Nobody's helping him out. Let the therapist help him out. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the fact that that you know that that we've we've taken the role of a parent and giving it over to a therapist. A lot of parents have that attitude. It's it's just it's, it's, it's just alarming to me. I mean, you know, when people think that they're going to abdicate their responsibility to therapists, um, and that's going to fill that role. Now, by the way, when I used to work with kids, there were certain kids that did not need therapy at all. But that that 45 minutes a week I spent with them, one-on-one, giving them attention, may have been the only 45 minutes a week that anybody ever paid attention to them. And that was, was worth it just for that. So there are many cases where that's actually a good idea. But parents that say, look, you know, just why not? Because, you know, I don't have the time to deal with him. This kid has all these questions. I mean, that's, that, if that child doesn't need therapy, he just needs a parent. And you're going to take that, that child and say, okay, I'm advocating my responsibility as a parent to the therapist. You know, that's something you really got to think that through. Okay, you're on, live. I want to know I'm divorced. I have a child that has many struggles, especially in school. He's on medication. But the issue is that his father is very upset that he's on medication. And when he talks to the child regarding therapy, he talks very negatively. What would you suggest in such a case? Um, so obviously, again, I don't have, I don't have all the, all the facts and I don't know all the factors to be able to tell you exactly what to do, but I'll tell you like this, you know, it's, it's so hard for people sometimes to go to therapy. It's hard for them to be on medication and they know that it's, you know, some, some of these kids, they know it's the right thing. They know it's helping them. You know, you have a child with ADHD, for example, who's suffering, suffering through school and he's on medication and it becomes easier. He knows. I think that a lot of times, instead of trying to protect them, you know, talking to the parent, don't say this, do say that. If we could, if we could level with the kid and have the conversation with them to explain to him, you know, and, and if you have any questions, oh, does it make sense to you? Explain to him and try to strengthen him that despite what's being said, that he should not be affected. He should be confident in that decision. I think we're generally going to do a lot better by, by, by keeping that kid um, you know, giving that kid that, that strength to do that than trying to do anything else and having an open conversation, pros and cons, and sometimes saying, if you have any questions, you know, we could ask somebody. I had a, a parent that called me. Um, I wasn't sure if it was as a rubber, as a therapist, but the, the kid was on medication. Someone told him something negative about it. We had an open conversation together. I spoke to kids for a half hour. It was a great conversation. Now, I wouldn't be available always, but there are people out there that can. So I think instead of, I think deal with it head on. I like dealing with issues head on, having the conversation with the kid. This is what your father's saying. This is what you're hearing. You know, let's, you know, what, what do you think about it? How do you feel about it? Is there anyone I could ask to make you feel more comfortable? Is there anything, you, any more information? I think that's an important, it's an important thing. Okay, um, let's get into this question. We touched upon it, but we didn't really clarify, we didn't really get into it. I've been in therapy for six months, but I'm not seeing any progress. And my therapist says we are doing great and keeps on ending off every session. Wow, I am so impressed with your growth. You're doing amazing. So it could be he's right. 
and I'm just not seeing it, or really, or he's really not helping me at all. What's your advice on this issue? You know, I had a, had a, had a client who, who came to me once and he was in, at that point, he was in therapy for multiple years. I'm talking about three years, four years. And um, I started talking to him. I said, I figured the guy's in therapy for three, four years. Like, what am I going to do for it? I started telling him the basics of CBT and he was like, shocked. This was great stuff. And by session number two, he says, you're changing my life in two sessions. It's crazy. I can't believe he's on a high. Can I come more? I think, no, once a week. Can I come twice a week? Can I come three times a week? And when I spoke to him about it, and he really did well, you know, he was in therapy for probably about six months, a year, six months, seven months. And in Shem, we were done. I asked him, what was going on by a previous therapist? And he told me literally this. He says, I don't know. He's talking about my childhood. I'm talking to him about things I'm anxious about. He wanted to talk to me about my mother, about my father, how I felt about this, how I felt about that. And he kept telling me, oh, you're growing. I see you're growing. You're getting more connected. You're more grounded. You're more this. He's talking to me about attachments. I'm anxious to walk into stores because I'm scared I'm going to faint. I'm scared that I'm going to turn red in front of people. And, and but all the sessions were about this stuff. I said, so why did you stay there for like literally years? Years and paying a fortune of money and traveling to New York. I mean, it's a major mysterious message. And he told me because he always told me that you're really doing well with getting places, with getting places. Now, I don't think the therapist is not is 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 just leading him on, or he is. I'm not I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily what's going on. But if it's not working for you, get out. It's as simple as that. This is not like going to an oncologist, Hasan where somebody's getting chemo and radiation. The person says, "I'm feeling sick. I'm feeling sick," and the doctor says, "You know, you're feeling sick." But here are the scans. This is getting better. There's no science to therapy. There's no way you can take a brain scan as something being effective or not. There are people that are in therapy for years and they're ruining their lives in it because they, they, they feel like I'm in therapy. If it's not working for you, get out. Find a different therapist. Now, is that to say that sometimes it's a slow moving process? Sure. If someone could explain to you what the process is, where, where we've come to, where we're going to, why it's, why it's a slow process. You know, it's always okay to check on somebody else. I tell people, if you're unsure, please go to another therapist. Tell them what's going on. There's nothing wrong with it. But I think the fact that, peer, that, that people develop relationships with their therapist, and it's not even anymore about, a, it's not a patient and a client. We're friends. We're, we're, we're connected. We're, 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 we're buddies, you know? And I, how can I do it to that person? You're not helping that person. That person will fill your slot in five minutes. And if they really have a hard time filling this out, and that's why they're holding on to it, they get away from it regardless. But but probably therapists can fill this up. Don't feel bad about it. And that's not your issue. That's not your problem. If you're not getting help, get out. How much how much time would you advise somebody? A normal case, you start therapy, and they don't feel any movement. They don't even know what therapy is. When should they run to the next therapist or stick around? Right. So obviously, you know, scientific way to say that, but, you know, I think that I, what I tell, again, every case is obviously different. Sometimes it could be five sessions till the person was even able to get through their story, till the person was able to share what's going on. Now, every case is obviously very, very different. But if you're having, you're engaging and you're, you're so you're ready to build that therapeutic alliance and you're ready, you're working on it. And I say, and you, you went already, you know, two months, more, anything more than two months, three months, and you're not feeling it. You're not feeling anything. Now, you don't have to be better. Something's better to take a lifetime. You can never get there. But if you're not feeling that when I leave this, this session that I gain something, I'm getting clearer or I'm getting more clear in myself what's going on, even if, it, even if I don't have actual results. If you're leaving there and just like, it's nothing, 
to me, two, three months is, is at that point you have to start, not to run, but at least to start bring up the conversation with them. Like, I really don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Maybe they could point out to you where you're getting, why it's difficult, why this is a process. But if they can't and you're not feeling anything, you, you, you got to, at some point, you just got to say, I got to stop. Therapy can't be forever. And with a person where it's not going anywhere. The beautiful rapper. Let's go to live question. You're on. Okay, so if I have a family member that really needs therapy but is resisting, do you have any recommendations? Um, you know, it obviously, obviously depends why they're resisting, and uh, there's obviously a lot of different factors involved in that. But I think, you know, I, I don't know what the scenario is, but a lot of times, if somebody offers to go with them, a lot of times saying, "Listen, let's go twice together." Let's just discuss if we need to be here or not. And if, and, if, and if you feel we don't need to, then I have no problem going. And it's also understand why they're resistant. Um, a lot of times this is with marriage issues, everyone's scared of being labeled. Like who's the problem here? They're busy comparing, competing. He's the problem, I'm the problem. So, you know, every case is different. I can't tell you how to get a resistant person to go because the question is why they're resistant. But I do think a lot of times when instead of it being you go to therapy because you have a problem, we say, let's go together to a therapist and discuss whether we need to be in therapy or not, or whether you need to be in therapy. We'll have this discussion together. And I'm open to the suggestion or whatever this therapist says, if you truly are, I think a lot of people get off that resistance. Okay, Moshi, a few live. Let's get to them. Hold on one second. Okay, unmute. Waiting for them to unmute. One second, Ramoshi. Okay, yes, you're on. Hi, do you hear me now? Yes, we do. Okay, so my question is like this. I want to know why the Rabbanim are not educated with domestic violence. When a husband is abusive, why aren't they more aware? Let's say, I'm talking about educated, right? Um, so my question is like this. Why aren't they more educated? And so that's basically my question. When... Rob is not okay. educated and they don't know, I'd say when a couple, um, it's either the man or the wife and there's domestic violence and only when a therapist that's trained would pick that up. But why Rabbanim are like not picking these signs up because sometimes the partner's quiet, they don't talk about it. They keep quiet because they're going for the, to help to the Rav, you know, he's trying to help. So basically it's, um, so that's basically my question, mm -hmm. why um, Rabbanim not more trained and pick these things up? Because yeah. there's a lot, unfortunately, going out, going on in our community. So, so I want to hear you know, it's, Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I think a couple of points to that. First of all, it, you know, it's incredible how this onus on Rabbanim. I mean, some Rabbanim don't have, you know, they, they're certainly not Nevi'im or B'nai Nevi'im. So to pick up the, the warning signs from seeing someone in Shul by Davani, the way he's shackling by Shmanasri to figure out that he's, you know, he's, he's, he's abusing his wife, obviously, obviously is very, very difficult. I don't even think, you know, to, 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 I don't think there is a certain, oh, this is when you see this about a person, then you know he's probably abusing his wife, which, which is incredible because a tremendous amount of domestic violence in our community is actually women to men as well. So how would you, you know, how would you even be able to, what, what, what is the, you know, sort of, this is the profile of domestic abuser. It's very hard to know. So I, I'm not sure how, if I was educating Rabbanim, I wouldn't know even what to tell them how to identify someone who is, you know, 
who's um, who's a violent or, or an abusive person. I'm an abusive person, no, but who's a domestic violence, who's a, who's, a, who's a perpetrator, victim. I'm not really sure how I trained that. I think the other part is very important, which is that if somebody actually says and comes forward and says this is going on, a lot of people can't believe it. No, I know this person so well. I see him in shul. He's so airlock. I see him dive the way he interacts with people. Everybody loves him. So if everybody loves him, it must be that he or she is making it up. Right. That part, I think, is the most important thing that we need to be able to train through our bottom. I don't know that there's a litmus test to be able to profile who looks like a, a domestic violent, you know, a, a domestically violent person. I don't think that that's a big onus to put on people, but I think at least to be able to, when the information comes to them, to be able to right. open up that conversation to accept the possibility that that's going on, I think that's that's the first place we should focus on. Right. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Okay, but I want to know why Rabbanim covered up. A lot of times, um, they end up doing covering up um, that there is signs, and they kept them just go back and try. You know, that's what they keep telling to people. So, yeah. like, so you know, it's a big yeah. problem. You know, unfortunately, I know a lot of people that just. And the blame and abusive marriage continue because the bottom says just go back and try and try, you know. Yeah. You know, I I, I guess I, it's one of the reasons why I'll tell you sometimes, I guess maybe it's because they're uninformed about what's going on. Sometimes they're 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 um, not equipped to deal with it. They just don't know what to do. I'm not sure who you, you report these things to. These are very, very complicated cases, and every single case is different. So I can't sit, sit here talking about why Rabbanim do or don't do something. The Rabbanim that I know are some of the most dedicated people in the world. And if they hear something like that, they will reach out, they will try. But there's very, very limited scope for a Rav to be able to do something in a lot of the, a lot of our communities. So why people are covering it up, I'm not sure who they're covering up to. I don't know why they're covering up. I need to know more information. I don't think there's never been a Rabbanim meeting lately where they discuss how do we cover up domestic violence. I think on the contrary, I think there no, was, you weren't invited maybe. <laughs> but I do think there's been a lot of discussion of literally how to deal with it. And when people who sometimes powerful people in your community, people who are, who are influential, people who are wealthy, you know, people who are people of power, you know, what do we do with dealing with that? I think that's a lot of discussion of that. So it's hard for me to answer such a general question when it's a blanket statement is made about Rabbanim or why, I have to know when, I have to know where, I have to know why. And even if, even if I did know, I can't answer for, for, for many, many people. I think um, Shalom Task Force, they have a, they deal with uh, domestic violence. And I think it's something, uh, Asher, we have to bring up um, one day on the show to where, where people should go to understand, you know, guidance. Yeah. Yeah, they should, be, they should be going to Rabbanim. I think Rabbanim, but a lot of times, you know, she wants them about picking up those warning signs that they should be able to pick that up. Again, I don't, I'm not aware of it, but I don't know that there is some sort of litmus test or profile to develop for that. But Sean Task Force has it. Okay. I want to take it. Okay. Okay, Sarah. What hi. was yours? Yeah, hi. You mentioned earlier about uh, changes, uh, like if you feel that whether or not the therapy is working, how do you know that? it's working or how do you feel that change is it is it a kind of insight is it a behavior is it i mean i have seen people uh you know, let's say right now i claim no high ground any you know moral or intellectual but i've seen people that don't seem changed or they seem to be it seems to be a hobby or you know to, to go to therapists where others maybe it's like a cholent where it bubbles slowly i mean 
how do you know, like, what would you say would be the signs of, of the changes? Is it within a person's behavior, speech? Um, are you, do you really see overt, you know, or do you find it's just a more, a more subtle kind of a thing? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So, you yeah. know, I, you know, if you, if you're talking about like, how does a spouse know if their yeah. spouse is doing well in therapy, then yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, that, that really depends on the client themselves. Yeah. If, if I'm going to therapy and I have a goal and I came mm -hmm. to therapy, I said, my goal is that I am very, very not relaxed. I am anxious all day. I get angry all day. And I find mm -hmm. that, you know, after two, three months of therapy, even if I'm like calmer, I'm understanding a lot more why I am the way I am. I'm starting to get more of a grasp on it. So if why I came to therapy, if my goal is becoming clearer to me, I'm getting more of a, I'm getting a better picture of what's going on, then I'm happy that I'm doing, then, then, then I'm going in the right direction. If I came to therapy because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious and I'm constantly getting angry and I find that there's absolutely no change about that, but I have been discussing stuff for the last three months and I don't feel like I'm going anywhere near that goal and I'm not, I am not feeling any better. That's the time where I'm going to take a second look and say, you know, this person's really nice, but I don't know whether this is a therapeutic alliance that's helping me. Yeah, it's almost like you feel like it's just going in through one ear and out the other. I mean, I, I mean that's maybe the, I had been sort of an experience, my own experience many years ago, but might have been just I was immature. Now, I don't know if people, you know, that always brings up the whole question that those who have the insight or awareness that will they even need, you know, do they need, you know, it's a question, I guess, cultivating that, you know, the first maybe you need it in the first place just to even be receptive to therapy. I mean, that, you know, yeah. you know no, and I, yeah. I think you raise a good, good point that sometimes people think that there's this magical thing yeah. of therapy, which is just happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, and it's not, it's either I'm no. having, either I'm gaining from it or I'm not, it's not yeah, this yeah. magical thing. Yeah. It's not like the movies. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Here's the next question. Uh, the, the great therapists, they say that the, to get, get into the great therapists, you have to wait six months and it's very hard to get into them. And people don't want to go to the new newbies. Somebody is just trying, starting out. Does it make sense to wait for six months and pay top dollars to get into the best, the best of the best therapists, or they should start somewhere where they have access right away? Moshe, I just want to tell you, this is a problem that me and Menachem have. A lot of times you put on some of the biggest therapists here, right? And then after the program, I'll get a tremendous amount of e you know, people asking to get into them or their email. And I know they can't get in. I know they're full. And I always ask them, like, what's the plan? Like, after people come and you open up a sensitive topic, you know what I mean? So it's it's a very difficult thing. And then people just want that therapist because this therapist finally gets it. So, but he's, he's impossible to get into. So how do people deal with that? Yeah, I, I, I want to tell you. I, I think that, you know, as Yidr, we always want to get go to the best. That's something which we love. And and it's a good thing. And actually, it, it's sourced in Gemara. You know, there's a Rambam, right? And if you're not the Mumcha, it's also, it's also the practice, unless you are the biggest Mumcha. So, you know, we give a very pr big premium on being the best. And I want to tell you, I, 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 um, I think... There are people I know that are waiting to get into my practice for months, and I feel that they're, they're they're really doing themselves a disservice. Get to therapy. You know, now I'm not saying 
there's a big difference if someone has experience, if someone, if somebody, you know, is specialized in certain things. But the concept that people want to go to whoever they consider the best or the biggest. And, and, and fun, it's funny also, like the names that are thrown around by people, that this person is amazing at this, this person is the best. Sometimes when people are waiting on the sidelines, it just, just go. It doesn't have to be the top person, you know? And if you, again, like everything else, if you find that it's helpful and that you're getting somewhere, you maybe you're going to max out and the person won't be able to, able to get you there, then you'll move on. But the fact that people have the stigma that you need to go to the best, I'm not wasting my time with anyone else. I got to go to the best. There's sometimes where people have, have, have an issue which they can go to a clinic and get for free. And instead they're paying hundreds of dollars a session because they need to be by the biggest. I think that that it's um, in many cases, that's not the case. When there's more on the line, you have to be more careful. And as well, I think when, when people went to therapy, they understood that the therapist is not their poisic, they're not their diet, they're not their rough, and they're not their, you know, they're just there to work with them to see if they're getting places. I, I think that it would be much safer for people to do that. And I think people don't have to be so, so, so afraid. But at the same time, if you're somewhere and if the couple of sessions, however long, however the time is, two months, three months, and I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere, then stop. Don't, don't just keep going and going and going and going. Hopefully that magically therapy is happening and you're just unaware of it. People but, want to you know, I think, and Menachem, that's a very good point because like people on your show, I'm sure they're saying, oh, I tried to get through this person, but I can't get through them. So now they're waiting for eight months. They're going to go to anybody. Their anxiety is getting worse. Their OCD is getting worse. Their marriage is getting worse. Who, who gained from that? How, how, how is that helping? Well, people, people want to go to the, they want to know that the person they're going to it's going to work, you know, because it's so hard and they open up and finally, finally, they open up, finally, they go for help. And then there's a chance that this therapist might not be good for them. That's very hard to accept. So they don't want to start until they find the right one. And that's where they spend the money. But if I'm starting somewhere, I don't know. And so they might as well stay, stay at home. That's what they're thinking. You know, I, I understand that point. And I understand that, that frustration of having to go to therapy and, um, and and feel like I'm going to open up and they can't really help me. I want to tell you, you know, I find that sometimes the, the newer therapists or the therapists that are not as busy, they give so much more time and dedication to clients. I think about the days when I started therapy. I think about those conversations I had on the phone with people, no boundaries, giving them 45 minutes, an hour, Things which now would not even be a thought. It wouldn't even be, it wouldn't be a half a minute. I mean, it, it's like there's a, a benefit of that as well. I So I, I know that a lot of times people try to push this thing, you know, go to the biggest, go to the best. Otherwise, it's a, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of that. Now, when there's stakes, when there's high stakes, I think sometimes, you know, and you're giving the therapy, the therapist a lot of power. You're putting your life in their hands. Yeah, that's. That you shouldn't, do, shouldn't be doing that to anything. But those are the weird cases where you got to fight like crazy. But otherwise, I think you're right. Let's try to cut Brian. I have like a few more here. If anybody wants to ask live, text me now. Um, very interesting question. We've been married now for four years and struggling with our marriage. My wife went to therapy for three months and claims she doesn't need it anymore. I believe she has a long way to go. How do I convince her to continue this need of therapy to make our marriage survive? You know, I, I think, I think you know, this question obviously comes up all the time, but she may be right. She doesn't need the therapy anymore. 
Now, she's good where she's at with herself in the marriage. And the man, in this case, feels he's not okay. So now, I think if the, if the point is that, you know, I want to go to, can I go with you to your therapist to explain what, what's my struggle, why I'm not happy? Because it's possible that what, what, what he thinks that she needs to change is actually think she doesn't need to change, like her personality. Where a guy says, my wife, but she's just so boring, she should go to therapy. Well, therapy's not going to help. That's your wife's personality. Accept it. You know, or, or on the contrary, maybe when he goes with his wife to her therapist and describes that, you know, my wife is like most nice, she's just sitting on the couch and on her phone and she doesn't interact. And the therapist is like, oh, well, that never came up in our conversation, you know? So that's a classic case of his wife probably is fine. And it could be that she's being validated all day by her therapist who's reinforcing that she's doing a great job. So I don't think it's about his wife. I think it's like, look, I'm not happy in this relationship. Um, you know, can I go with you to discuss it with the therapist about what's going on? And we can have this discussion together. I've almost never had a transparent conversation with all parties and people could not see eye to eye on the basics of basics. Now, even if the answer is she doesn't need therapy, he it's really, he, he's, he, has, he has his issue, but it'll help, you know, it, but, it, but, but the therapist will be able to help her, you know, to, to be there, to understand him or whatever. We, you know, this is so helpful in, the, in that regard. Moshe, I have one more question over here. Somebody else might want to ask live, and then we'll go to closing, okay? Yeah. I've been in therapy now for six years, and I don't believe my real understands my situation. Even after speaking to him and trying to explain it to him, I don't feel comfortable that my therapist speaks to my real. What would you advise? So the question is a little different than the other ones. Over here, there's a real that whatever it is, his mahalach or his old school or whatever it is, is a certain way, and the therapist is good, and they speak to each other, but he just doesn't understand this particular struggle that I'm dealing with, how do I go about that? You know, I, I, you know, I hear this from Rabbanim a lot of times, you know, from different Rabbanim, who will say something like, I don't believe in, the, in addictions. And I say, what do you mean you don't believe in addictions? Do you not believe that there are people that are addicts? Nah. Typhus, polytypha. You need 12 steps, you need two patch. You know, it's like, okay, so we're not exactly going to have a conversation with that person because you just, you just don't get it. Or somebody talks about their kid with ADHD and people say, kid, when, when I was a kid, everyone had ADHD. Everyone did, well, yeah, I had two patch, you did okay. Now, I'm not saying, that, you know, there's obviously a far line in the middle, but there are people, you know, especially Rabbanim, and not just Rabbanim, there are people like every people, all people in the world, there are people that just don't get it, either because they're not exposed to it, they don't understand it, they disagree with it. So I think, you know, the, the question of the Robin therapist, to me, is when the families are getting destroyed. When a therapist tells someone to leave a marriage and you don't have any, there's no, these, or, or to, to, we spoke about before, alienating children. When therapists are telling people to do things which may be usher, people, you know, things like that. That's the, that's where I'm talking about. We need to get everyone in the same room. But the role of the rub to now become into the therapist, because he doesn't agree that borderline personality disorder exists. He thinks that just, eh, just needs attention, ignore it. We'll just give in, it'll be good. Or it's not an addiction. He just needs two patch. When someone that is their attitude, so I don't think people have to hop as well and be like, oh my gosh, my rough disagrees with me. It's not that tired. It doesn't say anywhere in Shabura that, you know, that someone has to agree with, 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 with this approach or that approach. You know, as a matter of fact, a lot of the things that get fed is, I had, I had this fellow who came to me 
His wife had horrible, really suffering borderline personality disorder. And it was going on for years. And it came to points where he wasn't going to Yeshiva. He was staying home then the whole day because that's what she wanted. He was not going to his family ever. She wasn't allowed to call his family, ignore his family. And the rough kept saying, you'll see, you'll see. You'll give in to her. She's going to she's she's gonna come around. She'll come around. All that came around was that they had no marriage and it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. So when, 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 you know, I spoke to the Rav, he says, yeah, I heard this thing of borderline, but to me, it didn't seem like that. I met her once or twice. I, to me, I don't know all these chachos. So if your Rav is not buying into it, you know, because of that, then I don't think we have to make ourselves crazy to, to, to try to get our Rav on board. I love him. I gave him all my shalas and asked him any, any halacha shalas, that's great. But I don't have to ask him whether you, whether these are constant of addictions or, or things like that. So I think that's where the roles, we need to be able to identify the roles a lot clearer and a lot better. I want to, somebody just text me this question, an interesting question. I want to bring it up before we go to closing. I don't feel good going to therapy together with my husband. I will hurt him by telling him out. If I mention anything, everything that he does, he will be devastated. He makes a very important impression everywhere he goes. So how do I go about it? So basically, the question, let's just, I want to clarify the question. The question is basically, I have a spouse and I don't want to hurt them. So if I bring him to therapy, I'll tell him about the things I'm struggling with them. They're going to get hurt. So I guess don't bring him to therapy. How do I... Or it's gonna what's gonna backfire, or it could backfire, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the R, the R is actually uh, you know there have been couples I worked with that I told them I said just don't even though they were not doing well I said therapy is doing more damage than good because as soon as one side would bring something up it would flare up they'd fight the entire week about what was discussed in therapy. These are cases actually where a lot of times I'll see them I'll take a session I'll split it in half and see you know do let's say a longer session whether it's an hour. And see each one for 25, you know, for 20 minutes individually, and then bring them back together. And I'll find a way where I could say it more gentle. I could try to reframe it in a way that makes it more helpful. Um, I've had tremendous success with these these couples that have never done well in in couples therapy because they each, either they're not being open, they're not being transparent, or they're just creating tremendous combustion because sometimes people just don't communicate well. Some people people don't know. You know, and, and that's another point I wanted to pull out. You know, we were talking about before about therapy. Imagine, you know, about, that someone's going to therapy by themselves. Like imagine you have one person that's, that really speaks very well and they go to a couple's therapist together. And one is just so, so polished. I had this one client that, that one of them was a therapist and that individual spoke so well, was able to put things down. And you like, literally, they, they, you, they were so convinced. And the other person was like, you know, they couldn't even match up. And I understood why every single therapist they went to just looked at it and said, you know, okay, you know, the one that was a therapist was well-spoken, well-polished. The other one just didn't have it. And the first thing I did was I actually separated them. And so each one individually, you know, for about 20 minutes at a time. And I started realizing that this person you know, wasn't able to express themselves nearly as well as the other person. Didn't have the credentials and the words. And they were so smooth. But just because a person's not a smooth talker, just because somebody can't see the right buzzwords at the right time, doesn't make them the problem. And we're all human beings. Therapists are human beings. When they hear a person that is, is being so well-spoken, another one doesn't even, even have a response, a lot of times it affects us. So even in these cases, a lot of times we have to be able to take a step back and be able to do that. And so it brings out, so if, if, if the marriage therapy is not working in that way, if the therapist would agree to that, a lot of times that works a lot better. Somebody sent another question. I want to cover this one also. I've been in marriage therapy with my spouse, and while being in therapy, our marriage was doing well. However, when we stopped going, eventually we ended up having issues resurface. Does this mean that our marriage 
to work, we always need to be in therapy. So, you know, to me, instead of getting into the philosophy of it, if I could spend X amount of money and X amount of time and my marriage will work, then it's just going to work. It's like if someone needs to take medication in order to function, if that's truly what they need, then that's what they need. So if that's what it means, that's what it means. Um, you know, marriages are, 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 are you know, it's everything. It, 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 you know, it's a person's life, it's a person's children, it's a person's future, it's, a, it's so much. And if it means that for the rest of it, let's say theoretically that's what it means, then that's what it means. But generally speaking, I, you know, we see couples that are doing really well and then it flares up. I find by me that I'm too quick to, to, to push people, just go out, leave, 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 because I'm just, just, just go. You guys are doing well. And it blows, and a lot of times it blows up in my face. It comes back up. And I think that we therapists need to get a gradual, and a lot of times it's a technical thing, because if they're out of it, they, they don't come once a week anymore. And then that slot is filled. And it's just a timing issue. So what I started doing a lot more now is seeing people spaced out. Like, okay, let's see once every two weeks, once a month. And even if I have to see you and we have nothing to talk about a month later, it's okay and slowly try to tease it out. It's like this, if there's small embers that are blowing up to be able to identify. So it doesn't mean that you need to be in therapy for life. It doesn't mean that at all. And if that's what it does mean, then you know what? It, it beats, you know, killing each other all week. Okay, beautiful, Ramoshi. Let's go to closing. Ramoshi, we want a good closing, a good story. I'm giving you a few minutes to warm up, okay? Okay, so first of all, good to Ramoshi Rapper for coming on tonight, giving tremendous, because like a very... I want to say it was a more general topic, but it's very important because it like really cut into every part of our therapy that we're doing that we discussed. So I really appreciate it. Um, I think we covered a lot of ground. A lot of questions couldn't get to every single one, but we tried to. Um, again tonight, Shia, anybody could sponsor my son sitting who's here. Shiva Ganyaka, we're gonna send out the, the Razathon. Thank you, Chai Sarah, for joining us and being Mechazik. We appreciate it. <laughs> and we'll send out a share with the email with the, the information. Again, tonight Shia was sponsored by accounted account ed. Finance, ensuring businesses a success rate with having accurate reports and understanding cash flow. Since 2008, Chaya Halberg of Account Ed Finance has been helping businesses with internal systems design training for optimal financial clarity. Chaya's extensive experience as a CPA professor, problem solver, and coach has helped set up and restructure hundreds of accounting and bookkeeping systems for clients, gifting them the clarity and confidence to rely on the information to make critical business decisions. All users of the system receive step-by-step -step training to understand their roles and responsibilities to ensure the accuracy of the financial statements, payroll information, cost of goods, and all other aspects of the company. She also ordered, she also offers courses to bookkeepers, accounting staff to help them understand the, the entire accounting process. When training is done right, you can achieve excellence. And for more information, please email her or reach out to her. Her email is chaya at accountedfinances, A-C-C-O-U-N-T-E-D-Finance.com. The phone number is 848 299-2467-848-299-2467. Basically, in short, if you need somebody to come in and, and, and uh, do a restructuring on your whole business because your books look like my books, call her and she'll fix it. Mostly, probably your books look like that also, right? I'm assuming. Right, my wife's right. in charge of my books. She's, she's, she's got it. Well, okay. So so then you go. So, okay. so for those of the wives that are not in charge of the books, call her. And again, I guess you for Moshe Rapper from his entire Kihila of Kali Cheskel. It has been to thrive under this amazing, this amazing leadership. They get the, the, all the whole shoes behind you, Moshe, on, on the Shear. And again, if anybody wants to join our WhatsApp chats or get the flyers every Sunday, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Save my number. I'll send you the flyer every week. I could send you the 
the link to our, we have like a WhatsApp community, has thousands of people over there. Get all the information. You can go to menachembernfeld.com if you want to get email information, the shiurim, the replays. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, we have different rabbanim, different topics. And a tremendous chizik. The next two Sundays, me and Menachem are off because it's the first day of Hanukkah, the last day of Hanukkah. Everybody should have a bench to Hanukkah. Everybody should enjoy the jelly donuts, enjoy family time. All the things we talk about, we should do. <laughs> we get we get to try it and see, like, and, you know, so Menachem, the next year will be New Year's, January 1st, 2023, with world-famous rabbi, Rabbi Lipsker from Bell Harbor, who's, about the, you know, the, the tragedy happened to He was the rabbi over there that spoke and everything. He's an unbelievable person, and it should be a very powerful share. I don't know the topic yet. So um, when I get it, I will email the flyer, we'll send it out, and uh, it should be very, very powerful, and please join us, let people know. Again, everything is recorded, everything will be on menachembernfeld.com. If anybody has any questions, please email coachmenachem.gmail.com. Tonight, if anybody has questions about Moshe Rapper, Moshe, you can give your cell phone number, your address, your social security number, everybody can reach out to you. Now, if anybody has any questions, just email to Coach Menachem. I will forward all the emails to Moshe Rapper, and I'm sure as soon as you could respond to them, I'll respond to them, and they'll be in touch with you. Um, as everybody knows, Ramoshi is a therapist and he is a Rav and he's fully booked and he's at solo. So please be patient and waiting for a response. <laughs> as they say, if it's an emergency, dial 911. Um, again, tonight's year is 125. And if anybody wants to hear about Shimon on phone line, it's 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. And again, a special thank you to advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, Ellie Nario from Five Town Central, Kyla Kaufman, Shulzan from JCN. Moshi, I'm just going to tell you, it was an unbelievable sheer. I feel like the column that we put out tonight would just forget about if there's an answer or this, but the general concepts are so important because doing this for a while, understanding a lot of things we deal with, these are questions that people have when, especially when they're going through things, how to go about it, how not to go about it, just understanding different approaches. And um, it's tremendous, tremendous chizik. And it should be a lot of people from the commit. Coach Menachem, you go first, you wrap it up, and then Moshi. Two weeks. You got to leave us with a good a good word for two weeks, you know, because I'm going to be bored for the next two weeks. Coach Menachem. Yeah, Rabbi Rathberg, first of all, thank you very much. We did cover a lot of ground, Baruch Hashem. And it's always important to remember that we're dealing with uh, human beings and the life we discussed. Therapy is not always easy. And to open up and to be vulnerable, it can be a challenge. And we think, you know, we want to be goal-oriented. What am I looking for? We do want to be helped, but sometimes it does take time. We have to have patience. And um, to know exactly if it's working, that itself can uh, generate anxiety. Like, should I go back or shouldn't go back? Just let things happen. You know, eventually, you know, after a few weeks, we'll discuss it. Open communication is very important, whether it's with your therapist or with the people that you trust, just to understand what you're feeling, what you're going through, and to understand maybe maybe your feelings are right, maybe not. To be able to talk makes it a little bit easier, and especially with your therapists, if you feel it's not working, and if you have any questions, to walk out of the room and think, you know, have those thoughts by yourself, not having anybody to discuss it with, that can be hard. So whatever it is to remember, it does take time sometimes. It takes some patience. And um, in Hashem, we should be able to take what we need to grow. And uh, thank you again. Yeah, everybody should have uh, a Freilich and Hanukkah. And uh, see what comes up. 
Hanukkah family time, change in routine. Sometimes it's hard. And uh, see what emotions come up. Discuss it with the therapist. And Mishkoyach again. So, I, you know, as, as you were talking, I thought about this famous story, which you may have heard. There's this fellow that's starting to date. And he goes, starts going out with, 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 the, with girls. And every girl is just saying no to him. And, and uh, finally, one woman comes to the Rav and says, you know, everyone's saying no to him for the same reason. He stinks. He just smells really, really bad. This He's a very nice guy. He just smells. So the Rav approaches him and says, you know, you know, girls are saying, oh, you, because you smell. Do you take a shower every day? He says, yeah, certainly take a shower every day. He says, so what's going on? He says, you know, before my mother was nifter, she knitted me a pair of socks. And since the day she died, I never took off those socks. Rav says, that's very, very smelly. If you want to get married, you got to take off those socks. She says, okay. So he takes off the socks and he goes and he starts dating a girl. He gets married, he gets engaged to the girl. He buys a chasm and the rough comes up to the chuppah. He walks up and he smells something so bad. He tells the chasm, what's going on? He says, well, I don't know, what's the problem? He says, you, did you take off those socks? He says, yeah, I took off the socks. He says, he says, you don't believe me? Look, it's right here in my pocket. And he pulls out the smelly socks. Ruff says, taking off the, smock, the smelly socks is not enough. You got to get rid of it. A lot of times people look at it, I'm in therapy. I'm in therapy, I'm good. Being in therapy never cured anything. Like Rimanachim just said, therapy is a process. Therapy is hard work. Therapy is, is a question of being honest. The quest of therapy is really allowing a process to take a hold of you and you working a process of being honest with the other person. Because you're magically in therapy doesn't mean you're going to get better. It doesn't mean that, that the fact that you're in therapy, that therefore now everything is fixed. Therapy is something you need, it's something that you need to, it's a part of your life. You need to have all other aspects of your life. Your family is important. Insight from other people is important. Rabbanim are important. The Torah is important. And we can't isolate any part of our lives. It needs to be an all-encompassing experience. And it all has to come into the room. It's something which we need to bring with us. Everything, all these different parts of us. We can't go around... We can't, we can't think just because we took off those socks, now we're cured. We need to get rid of it. We need to be able to engage in an honest process. And sometimes it's difficult. And I think Menachem said something which is so true. A lot of times we start being anxious. Is therapy working? Is it not working? Is it working? Don't worry. Just give it time. Let the process happen. Be honest with the process. Allow it to evolve. And if, you know, if with time, don't see. A few months, get a conversation. You don't like the response. Time to move on, maybe. But Allow it to happen. Stop dictating what you want to happen. And the main thing is, make sure you bring all, all parts of it. Make sure it's an honest conversation. It's not an agenda-driven thing. Because just because your therapist says, yes, you're right, or do this or do that, they only have the information you bring. You bring the information to them. You bring the goods to them. And remember that you can't, you know, when, when you actually do that, you'll, you'll have a much healthier life. It's incredible the amount of awareness that's been going on. It's, ama it's amazing what Rebushi and Menachem, what you guys have been able to do to spread it, what, you, what so many people have been able to do. And so many, the fear and the mongering that goes on in so many publications, how people are all messed up and everybody needs therapy and everybody, to be able to have a platform to discuss it, to normalize it, to be able to 
to quantify and qualify it. It's an incredible opportunity. Kleisel is lucky to have such a platform. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shadal, we should continue being Mechazek many, many more Yidin. And the Oyres of Hanukkah should be, should bring tremendous, tremendous light in HaTovah to Gantz Klal Yisrael. Thank you for giving me this opportunity and Hatzlacha and all your future endeavors. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a prayer of Hanukkah. We'll see you January 1st with Rabbi Lipska from Bell Harbor, Florida. Have a good night, everybody.